Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. That as we just sang, we, we believe and thank you that you help us, that faith comes to us by hearing and hearing by your word. So I ask, Lord, today that we would not just hear with our ears, but we would hear with our heart. And that when we hear from you, Lord, that faith would arise and we would respond in ways like we've never responded before. It would give you glory like we've never given you glory before. I thank you and I declare over this congregation today that by your grace we will go from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's probably no surprise today that I would be talking about the greatest event in all of history up until this time, the resurrection of Jesus. Lots of people think the resurrection is, you know, well, well, it's a, it's a faith thing or it's an invisible thing, but I want to tell you, it did happen. It happened in history and it changes lives. The resurrection of Jesus is the heart of the Christian message. In fact, without the resurrection, there is no Christian message. It all revolves around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I like pictures, for those who know me, I like illustrations. So I I wanted to put up a picture of a wheel because I believe this illustrates the centrality of the death and resurrection of Jesus in our Christian life. I I picked a hipster, millennial-looking wheel. That might be Chip and Joanna Gaines might put that out in front of their store or something. But if you notice a a rustic wheel, there are three parts of the wheel. There's the outer circle, there are the spokes, and then there's the hub. The outer circle of the wheel represents God's total provision for every need of our life. Every need of our life, physical, physical, Mental, emotional, spiritual, material, for both now and eternity is part of God's provision for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the spokes of the wheel are that they support that outer circle. They're the ways that God makes his provision available to us. They support that outer circle. They're the, if you could look at a spoke, it would be like forgiveness to bring us peace or healing to bring us health, deliverance, as Kyle shared, to bring us freedom, sanctification to bring us holiness. All of those are the spokes, the ways that God provides this. But if you notice, when you get to the hub there, the hub is the death and resurrection of Jesus It is the spokes rest on the hub. Without the hub, they have nothing to support them. Also, the hub, those who know how wheels work, the hub is the driving power that turns the wheel. So it all revolves around the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you think about a wheel in motion, the hub causes the wheel to to move 
It'll, the knowing and experiencing the death and resurrection of Jesus moves us into all of those blessings that God has available for us. So we really can't in any way have a Christian message without looking and believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What did Paul say about it? Look in 1 Corinthians 15. It's in, in your notes there. What did he say about the resurrection? He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The Apostle Paul bases his entire message and ministry on these three simple historical facts. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and three days later he was raised again. That's what the gospel is based on. It is without it. If you remove any of those three, we have no real message. So that's what Paul thought about the resurrection. I just want to ask you, Rhetorically, what do you believe about the resurrection today? What are your thoughts about it? Is it just a theory or a philosophy, something you just have to take in faith? Well, I want us to look at a, a really noted historian from Cambridge uh, University in England. His name's Professor Marcus Dodds. Look at what he said about the resurrection. He said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the best attested facts of history. Attested means prove, provable. It's one of the most provable facts of history. That's the opinion of a professional historian. He wasn't saying that as a theologian or as a pastor. He was saying it as a historian who looks at historical facts. So I want to give you here just briefly five facts related to the resurrection they give strong proof that the reality of the resurrection happened in history. How many of you ever have people go, you believe that stuff? You believe in this word? You believe in a talking snake? Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? You what is wrong with you? That, like somehow we believe, if we believe in this, we're like a little less intelligent. Anybody get that feeling sometimes? Well, let's look at these five facts. I, I put them in notes so you could take them and, and kind of carry them with you. These are five things outside of quoting Bible verses. I could quote you Bible verses all day long. The first one, the resurrection was testified to by a much greater number of reliable witnesses than would be required to establish a fact in a legal court case. Over 500 people testified that they saw Jesus after he rose again. 500 eyewitnesses. Can you imagine a court case where you subpoena 500 witnesses and 500 get up and say, yep, I saw him. Yep, he did this. Yeah, I saw him walk through a wall. That's part of a Bible verse. <laughs> 500 eyewitnesses. Lee Strobel, how many of you know who Lee Strobel is? Right? He wrote the book, The Case for Christ. Right? He, was, he was, before he was a Christian, 
He was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune Herald. And so he set out using his investigative abilities to try to disprove the resurrection. So he interviewed people. He, he went to a psychologist. Here's the quote. This is his own words. I went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was a hallucination. He said, hallucinations, this is what the psychologist said, hallucinations are an individual event. But if 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. <laughs> Number two. I was going to say put that in your pipe and smoke it, but I won't. Did I say that? Number two, the resurrection produced a dramatic and permanent change in those witnesses for which there is no satisfactory alternative explanation. They left their jobs. They were used to heal the sick miraculously. They performed miracles. They uh, gave extravagantly out of their lack they underwent persecution and so many more things. And it wasn't just a camp high. They weren't just on some emotional thing. It lasted them the rest of their life. Evidence. Number three, holding true to their testimony, not just in the, in the face of persecution, but some of them, it even cost them their lives. And why would they, why would they give their life for something that they hadn't really seen personally and experienced. It makes no sense. They had nothing to gain in the normal sense of gaining. Number four, it has produced a radical and permanent change in the course of history. From that time when Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 plus years ago, history will never be the same. And there are no other reliable explanations for this change. I mean, if we could... Sometimes here we break up into discussion groups after the, the message. That would be a great discussion group type of thing to share. How has society and the world changed since the resurrection? I just think of a couple things. Architecturally, the sad news of Notre Dame, the, the cathedral in France, in Paris, burning. You know, there are cathedrals all over the world. That was an 800-year-old cathedral. Well, that, was, that, that changed the landscape of France, those cathedrals. And I also think of um, the Constitution of the United States. So many Christian principles that are embedded in the freedom that we enjoy. I'd love to have it if we had time to discuss. You know, how else has society changed? But I'll move on. The fifth one, the resurrected Christ has continued to reveal himself personally as alive to countless millions of people in the centuries since he rose again. And I myself am a witness personally of Jesus revealing himself to me. In 1976, as a junior in high school in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on a Sunday night, I had a direct personal revelation of Jesus that had changed my life ever since. I had not grown up in church. I grew up on Sunday mornings watching wrestling on Sunday mornings, waiting for the Cowboys to come on. I did not have 
any kind of, I didn't have a religious bone in my body at all as a junior in high school. I went to church because the youth group had pretty girls. (laughs) Started doing that as a junior in high school. The truth. I wasn't seeking, that night I encountered the Lord in 1976, I wasn't seeking anything sensational or weird. I wasn't in the middle of some big crisis. I wasn't deeply depressed, although obviously God can reach you in those states. I was just there on a Sunday night. But Jesus revealed himself to me so genuinely and so personally that I, until this, from that day till now, I've never been able to doubt that he is alive. And if he is alive, then that changes everything. That change, that's the most important thing in history if he's alive. Roman numeral three, I think it's on the back of your page there. I've I've said that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. And the truth is, some in this room may not even, but a lot of people out in the world, though it's a historical fact, many people reject its validity. Many rejected. Why won't they receive the evidence? I just gave you five, five points there. Why don't they receive it? Well, I believe there are two main reasons why people reject the fact of the resurrection. The first is psychological. The second is spiritual. The psychological reason, and I wrote it out here so you could kind of look at it a little more detail later, but The psychological reason is they don't want to acknowledge the possibility of God's direct supernatural intervention in human affairs. They resent the thought that somehow God can change what they regard as the fixed course of events. So I've always loved logic, so I'm going to be logical here in the next few moments. They resent the thought that God could change or, you know, intervene in what they regard as the fixed course of events. And yet, there is no logical or scientific reason for this attitude. When you look at what science is all about, science cannot offer a logical reason why the resurrection should not have taken place. It's not scientific to assert that it did not happen. In fact, it's unscientific to reject the valid evidence that it did happen. Because you see, science operates on evidence to make conclusions. At least that's how it's supposed to operate. The Bible is filled with accounts of how God supernaturally intervened in human affairs and in nature and in creation. How God altered the normal course of events. The Bible's full of those accounts. Or to put it another way, this will kind of help maybe bring it home to you. There are times throughout the scripture when the creator stepped into what he created. How many of you think it's logical that the one who created the world and the stars would be able to step in and intervene in what he created? Does that make sense? I mean, if I invented a computer with all the wires, then I would be able to step in and change a wire and tweak something and add a new program. 
It makes sense. It's unscientific to dismiss that the creator of the universe couldn't step in and change things and do things in creation. I'll just give you one example besides, obviously, the resurrection, which I just gave evidence of. <clears throat> I think of, uh, did anybody see the Ten Commandments last night on TV? I always watch that every year. Well, there you go. It's long. Well, Exodus 14 account, it does the account of the parting of the Red Sea where, where Moses lifts up his, his arm and behold the salvation of the Lord and we see the, the parting of the Red Sea. Well, that was not a natural course of events. God stepped in and intervened supernaturally and he, it says he parted the Red, the Red Sea. I want to show a picture of the Red Sea today. Okay, if you can just keep that up there, God breathed through his nostrils and he, he, however he did it, he parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites, the entire Israelite uh, company could go through on dry land. Now, I've studied it. We studied it some in school. You know, some have the theory, the belief that that couldn't have happened that, that there's a natural explanation that they could cross on dry land, that there was some weather event, a lot of wind, and it was at a certain place in the Red Sea where, it, oh, they, they crossed because it was just like six inches of water. So if you could show a picture of six inches of water, this would be what they're basically saying. Oh, yeah, you could get an army. You could, uh, you could get the Israelites to cross over like that. Well, let me ask you, if they crossed over in six inches of water, then how could an entire army of Pharaoh's army, horses, chariots, and soldiers drown in six inches of water? Right? I mean, I don't want to know if I can act it out, but all right, all the horses. I mean, that would be a bigger miracle. Right? So science actually looks at objective evidence and makes the conclusions. All right? And so we can see that the psychological reason is flimsy to deny the resurrection. Let's look quick, quickly at the spiritual reason. So some reject it because of psychology. They just can't conceive that God would step in and, and do things like that, suspend natural laws. Then also is a spiritual reason. It's really stated clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this age, who's that? The God of this age, it's a little g in my thing. It says g up there, capital, but thank you. that's just how it came through. But it's little g, it's Satan. It's a name for Satan. God of this age is the enemy, Satan. And it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so when it's noticed that, it didn't say blinded their eyes, but there's a spiritual force at work in many of your coworkers, friends, students around you, teammates, whatever. 
there is a spiritual force at work that wants to blind their minds from seeing and understanding and accepting that Jesus is God come in the flesh, that he died, was buried, and he rose again. And he can change lives. There's a spiritual force working in their lives. But thankfully, we have powerful ways to overcome spiritual blindness. How many of you, even now, I want to give you something that will help you to pray for someone who battles with potential spiritual blindness in this area. It's Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. And I'll, I'll just say it quickly um, because it, I turned it into a confession or a declaration on your notes. There's somebody that you right now say, I want them to come to Jesus. I want them to understand and believe the resurrection. It's a prayer that Paul prayed. And so you can turn this into that and say, Lord, would you give to so-and-so? Give to Johnny the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, that the eyes of Johnny's understanding would be enlightened, that he may know what is the hope of his, capital H, of the calling of Jesus, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Lord, would you remove the blindness, that the eyes of his understanding be enlightened, that they would know what are the riches of the glory of God in Christ. So this is how we can pray, that they would be enlightened, that their eyes, the eyes of their understanding would be opened. And what's his calling? Jesus has been called, part of his calling is to, Lord, it's your calling to reveal yourself to that one, just like you revealed yourself to Kyle. Pray that, declare that, and that will, that will be a great weapon against unbelief. Rachel, if you and the worship team can start to come up. I've talked a little bit about this today. It's what's a fancy term, apologetics, which is basically I wanted to give some evidence that the resurrection is a historical fact. And I want to help us to really arm us and equip us to be armed with the truth. But I feel like the most important thing I can do today in these last minutes is, is to share a little bit about how the resurrection power of Jesus has touched my life. How many of you had a place, a time in your life where you can remember the resurrection power of Jesus touched your life? Amen? I love telling stories like that. I want to recount that because I believe that's going to help us today to have greater faith when we hear and we, we tell of those times. When has the resurrection power of Jesus touched your life? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8 says, it's in your notes, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you if you've said yes to Jesus. And Romans 8, 11 says, that same resurrection power of the Holy Spirit can quicken or give life or strength, divine strength, to your mortal body, which can include healing. It can include just strength in your, in your soul, in your mind, in your inner man, strength in your emotions. But I want to give testimony today. Ten years ago, I had a skiing accident, snow skiing accident, 
where I had basically torn the labrum in my left shoulder. It started hurting month after month. I didn't want to go to a doctor. I finally went. They said, well, we want to take an MRI. They took the MRI. I went to a specialist. He's like, oh, your shoulder, you've got torn labrum. And if you don't get surgery, it will just keep tearing. Here's the pictures. So I was slated to get surgery on a Thursday. And I didn't want shoulder surgery if I didn't have to. Money, I didn't want to spend the money. And I also didn't want to, maybe what if they messed up and had a bad day in the surgery? <laughs> So there was a healing night. A man named Graham Cook was going to the Church of the Hills. And he had prayer teams up there. And there were all these prayer teams out here saying, if you need healing, come forward. Well, I came up. I'm like, man, it's Saturday night. I've got the surgery for Thursday, uh, next Thursday. But I don't want to. Maybe, Lord, I want healing. So they were like, all this altar was full of prayer couples. I went past like three of them. And then I was like, no, go back to that the thought, go back to that couple over there. They, I, I told him my situation. The man, <clears throat> the husband said, I was supernaturally healed of the very same thing a couple of years ago. He instructed me on how to keep my praying, keep my faith up. They prayed for me for three weeks. It still hurt, no change. After about three weeks of thanking the Lord and continuing, I said no to the surgery and they came and they, and the Lord came and he healed me. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ healed my shoulder. Sat Ten years ago, they said, if you lift, lift weights, it'll just keep tearing. Well, I see Kim Bailey a lot at the gym. You see me lifting weights, right? Do I look in pain? Well, I am in pain, but not because of that. So the Lord healed the resurrection of power, power of Jesus is alive and present today. Healed my body. As Kyle already shared, the resurrection power of Jesus rescued my son. Brought him. If you can put that wheel back up. It brought him. The, spoke, the, the, the resurrection power, the hub of the wheel, released forgiveness, bringing Kyle peace. Release sanctification, bringing him a, a power to walk in holiness. And then another way, just about 50, about 30 yards from where I'm standing, when this was just a whole bunch of rubble and drywall and wrought iron, we needed $25,000 within 10 days to finish to pay the air conditioning people and the drywall people and I was freaking out. And, and I, someone came in. I said, <clears throat> they said, what's wrong? You look like you've seen a ghost. I was like, oh. well, it was Mary Leanne Bryan. She's gone to be with the Lord. She said, well, that, let's pray. We start praying. And I'm thinking, Lord, I need $25,000 in 10 days. And, and the Holy Spirit said very clearly in my heart, Glenn, don't tell the church you need the money. I'm going to provide it. And I mean, this faith came over my heart and I started laughing. Okay, and I was like, oh, you provide. 
Thank you, Lord. I, don't tell it. Nope, don't tell anybody. My phone, back, my razor, back in the day of a flip phone. <laughs> red. My red razor started vibrating. I didn't look at it. There was a sticky note later. The phone number, same on the door. Someone had called in the middle of the prayer. I called the number, and the person on the other end of the phone says, how much do you need money-wise to finish the project? First words out of their mouth. And I told the person how much we needed for that time. And they said, well, we could pay the whole debt thing, but we want other people to be blessed too. So we're going to give the $25,000 for the project. I want to give glory to God for that. Let's thank the Lord. He knows. And when I came back, when I came walk down here from the, we had the office upstairs, the Holy Spirit spoke so strongly to me. He said, Glenn, don't ever forget, this is my church. The Lord said that. He brought provision, the spoke of provision, so that River in the Hills could help, to help us fulfill our ministry assignments. He brought us, he brings healing so that we could have health. All the things we need are because of the hub of that wheel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you need the resurrection power of Jesus to touch you in some area of your life today, I want you to come up right now. Let's all stand if you would. I want you to come up right now and say, I want that kind of testimony, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's provision, material. I want you to come forward right now and we're going to pray for the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1 says that it's the riches we may know the greatness of his power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You need the power of God, perhaps in your physical body, in a relationship, depression, fear. Right now, today, on a, on a day in which we look into the God's word and we see, and we've seen from history, the resurrection really happened. And the power of the resurrection can change your life today, right now. I'm not guaranteeing it'll happen right now, but as you come forward today in humble obedience and in faith, I believe the Lord will meet you. I'd like us to sing a, song, a closing song here of worship. And as the worship is going forth, if it helps you to op open your hands out to the Lord, if our prayer, anyone from our prayer team or elders, if you feel led, if the Lord highlights you to just come up to someone and say, what is your need? Otherwise, let's, let's direct our eyes on the Lord.